This is all theater. This is all just political theater. Political theater. Political theater. Pure political theater. Theater. Political theater. The nefarious, significant, and protracted political, political, political theater for political theater's sake. I yield back. From Washington, this is Political Theater. Roll Call's review of the spectacle of politics on Capitol Hill and across the country. I'm Jason Dick. Welcome back to Political Theater. If you are a long-time listener or even a medium-time listener, you have probably heard some of my conversations with CQ Roll Call's White House correspondent, John T. Bennett. He is joining us today. And sadly for us, it is a bit of a goodbye. Uh, John is leaving CQ Roll Call to start a new adventure. He's going to become the bureau chief. He's actually going to establish the bureau for the Independent of London here in Washington. Uh, It's a great opportunity for him. He's done just absolutely fabulous work uh, at CQ Roll Call, um, and uh, we wish him the best. And we also just wanted to get some of his thoughts about his experience. Uh, He he started as the White House correspondent towards the end of 2015 uh, in the last uh, year plus of the Obama administration, and then he has been there for every step of the Trump administration. There are even photos of John and I at Trump's inauguration. Uh, it was a gloomy day. Uh, not not politically, just it was literally gloomy. Right, you know, it, was it was miserable. Yeah, it, was, it, was, it was a gross day uh, from, from a weather perspective. Um, but, uh, and we just wanted to get some of his thoughts about what, uh, what life was like with us, what life was like with both Obama and Trump, what he learned, uh, what he hopes to take with him, and all that. John, Welcome for the last time as White House correspondent for CQ Roll Call, but probably not for the last time into this booth. I hope. I hope we can have you back. I hope uh, you can find time for uh, for us uh, in your new adventure. But for the last time as White House correspondent for CQ Roll Call, welcome to Political Theater. Well, thank you, Jason. And uh, this is uh, this is bittersweet. And you know, we we talked behind the scenes uh, before I decided to uh, to start this adventure, as you put it. But this has been uh, quite an experience. You mentioned the last year plus of the Obama White House, and and wow, that feels. <laughs> it is a long time ago. Obviously, it's Trump, Trump years. Uh, we like to call them now, right? Yeah, I mean, it's it's it. It can be hard to remember the the Obama year, right. that, or pl- year plus that we had. There may there may have been less drama with the Obama administration negotiating the Iran nuclear deal towards the end of its uh, time in the administration than there is in just Friday afternoon uh, at the White House these days. That's right. That's <laughs> right. It's uh, it has been a, a roller coaster uh, for a lot of reasons. Uh, you know, the White House underwent some changes. You know, I thought we were doing about as well as we could with a one man bureau covering Donald Trump's chaotic White House. Um, but like you said, it's just, it's a tremendous opportunity to make some calls and, and try to put a team together and see what we can build. Well, let's get down to the nitty gritty, the, the, the dirt, let's dish some dirt. Uh, let, let's, let's talk about some of your, some of the moments that stand out to you, um, in, in the last few years, because I, I think, you know, just based on, on a, on a daily basis, we could go, you could write, you could write a novel like the, for, for each day, but let's, let's start with some of your favorites. (laughs) Well, I'm going to start with my absolute favorite. Uh, this was fairly early in the term, and uh, the president had just announced in, in one, another 
of these, what's become routine. But at that time, we really didn't know what the hell was going on with these pool sprays in the Oval Office or the Roosevelt Room or out on the South Lawn before he left on Marine One. You know, everyone was still trying to figure out why he was doing it, how he was using it. Uh, But in one of these things in the Oval Office, uh, the president announced that he would be sending active duty military troops to the southern border. Because it's Donald Trump, and and there were a lot of fears on the left that he would do this kind of thing. There were fears on the left that he would federalize the National Guard and send them into major cities. You know, all this at the time, these are things that Democrats were talking about. Right. And also, um, just a little bit on your background, too, that, you know, as a former military affairs reporter— Like, you know that there are some legal uh, sure. considerations uh, when sure. you talk about mobilizing troops. And there's the, there's the way that most people understand it. Like, when they say troops, they don't necessarily distinguish between active duty right. and reservists and National Guard. Right. But right away, the little ding, 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 ding went off in, in your head. And, right. and, as, and anyone who has any sort of passing uh, knowledge of military law. Yeah. <laughs> yes, uh, something, the, uh, the 1878 Posse Comitatus Act is love posse comitatus. Right. We like, all do. And it was designed to prevent just what I said, where an, a, a, a sitting president ordering active duty military troops to do just really anything. Again, it was this fear of a monarchy that was right. still around. Stationing and, and, troops in people's homes right. and so forth. Exactly, like, exactly. So something about then the Bill of Rights, I think. Right, but White House staff quickly, as I and a few others, and some of these reporters had a similar background as me, they had covered the Pentagon, uh, we were asking about what about posse comitatus? What about posse comitatus? And of course, because they are the Trump folks, you know, they think we're all out to get them. And that's how they interpreted these questions. Maybe the way Trump talked about it in the Oval Office sounded a little out there. And again, there were these fears on the on, on the left. So we had to, we were trying to educate White House staff in real time. This is a real law. He can get around it. He can get a waiver. He'll probably get the waiver. But have you have you communicated that to McConnell and, and Paul Ryan at the time was a speaker and, and the other leaders and the relevant committees, the Armed Services Committee, the Homeland Security Committees? Have, have you done that work? Well, they hadn't done that work. We quickly, we quickly, you know, the, the magic of email is we're standing outside Sean Spicer's office and we're all emailing folks on the Hill and, you know, the... Who is also reservist, Sean right. Spicer. <laughs> and, right, so and Sean, did know. Know. Yeah. Sean did know. Sean did know. So I remember late in the, kind of getting late in the day, it's probably around 6, 6.30, uh, trying to talk to uh, a White House official who uh, to this day is notorious for always darting around something like a hummingbird. He's always going to a meeting, but he was the point person for these questions. And we had explained it to him and explained it to him. I sent him multiple links. Like, this isn't something we're making up. Here's something from the Heritage Foundation about it. Like, we're not coming after you. We just want to know how the how are you going to handle this? And as he goes out a door, it's a slide, it's an automatic door, it's, it's a sliding door. He said, all right, Bennett, send me an email about that Hakuma Matata thing. And there was another reporter <laughs> who had also been inquiring about this 1878 uh, law. And he looked at me, and I looked at him. The door closed, and general, the White House official, uh, staffer, saw him go up the, the ramp to his meeting. And we looked at each other. And I turned to one of the very junior press aides who was sitting behind the desk. And I said, did he just... And she was like, yeah, that's the bleeping Lion King. <laughs> 
and this is before the remake uh, came That's out right. just last year. Yeah, right. I mean, this this was like you had to go back to the '90s for that reference. Right? But it, yeah, and then later that night there were you know or Broadway, the, I guess. You know, right. right. Yeah, there were phone calls, and mm-hmm. you know, he still. I don't know if he ever completely understood. I think could he? Was he kidding? No, no, because other reporters had the same phone conversations into the evening. I remember sitting at my dining room table where I had set up my laptop quickly when I got home. I had an email call me and I ran in and set it up. And I I just remember, I can still hear at the end of the call, I was like, okay, I'll I'll send it back. But we really need a statement at this point. It's been four or five hours. The Pentagon knows that you talk to them. Oh, that's a good idea. That's a good idea. I guess we should do that. And he never to the Pentagon. He okay. never closed the line. And all I heard was just this feverish typing. And just kind of collectively, this is especially at the beginning of of the Trump uh, the Trump term. That's what it was like. And you know, it was perfect that 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 ended with the just the crazy typing, the, the fast typing, because they. They were so behind the eight ball and didn't they didn't know what they didn't know. They didn't know what they thought they knew. Um, we we probably didn't help sometimes, but we, you know, we're we're on deadline now all the time. Right. Especially early on, it was just this confusing, it was like a Super Bowl where you throw it in the corner and it just ricochets all over the place. But then, you know, by the next morning, we were on to something else. Yeah. Let's talk another uh, about another anecdote that uh, that you shared uh, w- with me uh, when we were sort of gaming this out, and that was you know a- also related to the military and and strategy and so forth. And this was a little more a um, little more recent uh, and has to do with Iran. June twenty fifth, uh, uh, roll call had uh, pool duty. We were the uh, the print uh, representative in that day's press pool, which is the small group of journalists, uh, uh, print, uh, network television, cable television, uh, radio, their sound technicians, cameramen, and, you know, it's usually about 13 people. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you're there to document the president's movements and any public remarks, uh, events, world leader visits. Um, everyone probably listening to this has has seen a pool spray on, on CNN or Fox or, or MSNBC before. Well, that was our day. And uh, at that time... Uh, the president and uh, leaders in Iran were were going back and forth about a, a number of things. I believe that was around the time there was uh, their small vessel fleet had had buzzed or maybe fired on uh, you know a, a giant U.S. Yeah. warship right. and other things in the region. And anyway, um, the president was running the same playbook he ran in 2017 with North Korea: talk big, threaten strikes, try to essentially scare them to the table or at least scare them into stop some of their activities in the Middle East that, you know, that cause big problems for everyone over there. I remember candidate Trump and a big reason uh, that that he got elected. And I think if there was one place or one issue on which Democrats and Democratic voters probably, and I talked, I've talked to, to many who who have said this is the case, the, where they did agree with candidate Trump was trying to avoid these Middle East wars. Endless these South, wars. Right, these endless heard. wars. Right. That's why he called them stupid wars. Now, you can launch some tomahawks, but as we just learned, Iran will retaliate. Mm-hmm. You know, they may do so with their thinking caps on like they did and try to, to, to not kill any U.S. personnel or at least 
keep it as as low as they can. But then accidentally take out a commercial airliner with right. several of their own citizens right. on it. So yeah. the Iranians, you know, Donald Rumsfeld, former defense secretary, used to say the enemy gets a vote. Iran would get a vote on what would happen had Trump back in June launched some kind of strike against Iranian targets, possibly on Iranian soil. So endless wars. Are, would that mean another protracted war in the Middle East? Uh, it wouldn't just be limited to Iran. They would turn on their, their proxy groups across the region, and this thing could get really ugly really fast. So I asked President Trump. He was sitting behind the Resolute desk. I, I maneuvered myself to get right in his line of sight. You can get his attention and kind of put your hand up like this, and, and he nodded at me, and he took another question from the group, and then he, he glanced and we made eye contact for a split second, and I said, Do you have an exit strategy for Iran if war does break out? And I'll never forget, he did. Vintage Trump, he crossed his arms and kind of leaned into the desk and said, You're not going to need an exit strategy. I don't need exit strategies. And what I said next uh, came out, um, and why is that? And I was just thinking all these rallies and all these events and and he's even, you know, in he goes even now as president, he goes off um when he goes off script, he'll he'll land in endless word and he'll they'll talk about it now. Um and it just came out that way. And I, I remember just thinking, after all that, after all that, we may be in a protracted war in the Middle East under President Trump. But it really showed how my question, uh, the best I can get in the president's head, my question kind of made him feel like I was questioning his strength. Mm -hmm. And, you know, this character sketch that that we've all tried to do over the last three years, three years plus, and, and try to understand what makes the president tick, um, you know, th there's a bit of insecurity there. I think that's safe to say. What was his response when you said, and why is that? Did he you, waved me off. Yep. Just he, he shook moved, me off. Moved on. And this relationship with the press that you're, you're described, I mean, this is a nice segue to to another anecdote you have, which is just the, the one of the, you know, complaints about the this particular White House has been that they, they don't do the briefings any longer with the press right. secretary. And the response from the White House, from the White House press secretary and from the White House, you know, staff is the president makes himself available in a way that no other president has done in recent memory. I mean, and that is certainly the case. He does talk and banter and go back and forth sure. with the press to a greater degree that, than Barack Obama, than George W. Bush, than Bill Clinton, you know, and and then, you you know, you get into points of, of history of once you get outside the sort of the social media and internet era where where presidents were actually quite remote. It was difficult to, it was difficult to meet with the president. Right. I mean, sometimes the treasury secretary or, or you know, the chairman of the Ways and Means Committee. I mean, these people had to, had to really seek out the president. Now you can just call him, you know, I mean, and, and I mean, there, there is an access that is, that is there with Trump that has not been there with previous presidents. But talk a little bit about that when you got a sense of this, uh, this, this, uh, mm -hmm. this, this thing that we, you know, talked about a little earlier. Well, you know, it wasn't until September and uh, the great Martha Kumar, uh, who's kind of a, she's an honorary member of the White House press corps. She looked into this. She's a professor and uh, presidential historian. It wasn't until September of 2017 that he really figured out the South Lawn thing, that before he got on the helicopter, he could just, he could have a press conference that was more controllable than, say, something in the East Room. Mm -hmm. You're yelling over the helicopter. Uh, and you know, he just walk away. 
Oh, and you can just walk away. <laughs> right. See, see you in Orlando or see you in Milwaukee, wherever right. I'm going to my rally. Um, but when you really got a sense of uh, of of his dependence, and it is a codependent relationship. He needs us as much as we need him, and he knows it. Uh, and I think that really comes into play sometimes. And you know, this happens when things aren't going well for the president and the White House. It's a chaotic time. He's he's punching back usually in some kind of situation that is at least 80% his own doing and he's trying to get out of trouble. Uh, and you know, you've got, you've got Congress reacting to him. You've got, uh, you've got the, the 2020 Democrats out there reacting to him. You got Twitter's going crazy, cable news, and we'll, you know, you'll be sitting there and it's, 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 it's one o'clock and you've got, you know, you're, you're trying to have some lunch and you'll hear the the PA system in the press area, and our desk is in the basement, and you'll you'll hear it cue. Usually, it is very simple. It is one of the press aides saying, "Press to the palm room doors now." And what that means, the palm room doors is you where they've been they, summoned. We have been summoned, <laughs> and they were summoned. Uh, the press staff was summoned to you know get a podium to the to the rose garden. Uh, you got to get that all set up. Uh, get get some risers out there for the for the camera folks and uh, and and some kind of rope line otherwise to keep the animals back right. uh, otherwise the secret service won't won't let anybody do it and usually within a half hour here comes the president we knew he was having lunch with with uh, Senate majority leader Mitch McConnell things weren't going well this is uh, around the time that they failed to pass their own health care bill when John the late John McCain came into the Senate chamber very early in the morning and thumbs down. I voted for the motion to proceed to allow debate to continue and amendments to be offered. I will not vote for this bill as it is today. 2017, yeah. 2017, yep. and, and it died. And there were some other sputters and struggles. And so we called Mitch over for lunch. He clearly wanted Mitch to stand there and take the beating with him. Trump knew that things weren't going well and that he had some splaining to do. But he wasn't going to go out there alone. This is, again, classic Trump. He was not going to go out there alone. And he wanted Mitch to feel it, too. And on health care. In a recent tweet, he said, the only problem I have with Mitch McConnell is that after hearing repeal and replace for seven years, he failed. That should never have happened. Do you still think Well, let's go, let's go to the second part of your question with Mitch. Again, we've been doing health care for really seven months. And probably six months, if you think about it. Because we started and probably a total of six months. Others were two and a half years and much more than that. Others were eight years and they didn't get it passed. Uh, this man is going to get it done, okay? And I think get it done long before anybody else. And I think it's going to be a great health care. Uh, as far as... And, you know, there were times in that impromptu press conference, I think it was about 40 minutes, just shy of 40 minutes, where uh, a question was asked of President Trump and he just put his, his hand up with his palm up and looked at Mitch and kind of motioned him to the lectern. And, and and that was really emblematic of everything, and and the fact that he wanted Mitch to stand there and have to field some of these questions, the fact that he that he essentially made McConnell do it. People usually don't make Mitch McConnell do very much, right? Uh, but but he's the president. You have to keep a couple questions in the back of your head every day in case that happens. I mean, you know, usually if you have a presidential press conference, you know, a day or probably two in advance and there's time to sit down with your team and bounce questions off each other and in the in the press area you know sometimes we bounce questions off each other um even though we work for different outlets because we want to make sure we're asking uh, the right questions that day 
and 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 trying to hold the president accountable and do all that. But I mean, sometimes uh, we literally have five minutes notice to get your stuff and get upstairs. And so you're actually through those doors when the president walks out. I'm fairly confident that that approach at times has not served anyone very well, including the president himself. It's it's similar to the South Lawn departure press conferences where, you know, the president knows that we didn't we didn't have time to prepare for this. So he can control it a little more. It's more chaotic. He's just out there calling on people and and you know, it's luck of the draw and he gets to control it. You see there's a theme there. He does want to he wants to control the narrative. That's what he does with the tweet or tries to do with the tweets. I think he's having less success with the tweets. I think we've all we've all figured out a thing or two about the tweets, but you know, we haven't had to press the palm room doors in a while and this impeachment trial i would expect if it's warm enough uh in in january as as january rolls on if we get another uh another bout of warm air that settles over the washington area and things aren't going well or he doesn't like the coverage that is so key he responds to the coverage mm-hmm. even if things aren't as bad as even if politically things aren't as bad as cable news might be making out um, you know, he, he responds to the coverage. So if the coverage isn't good one day, two days, especially, and the longer the, the, what he perceives as negative coverage goes, boy, we could, uh, we could all be in the Rose Garden for 40 minutes of, uh, of fun. So taking a lot of this, taking, you know, some of what you've described here, a more expansive list is probably in your head. Um, you know, your experience, not just as, you know, being there for Trump and Obama, but also, I mean, like you, you know, your previous experience in the military, you know, with covering the military and also the budget uh, for, mm-hmm. for CQ. I mean, in general, if you had to, if you could distill it, what have you learned most recently about being a reporter, about being yourself, about like how you do your job? I learned about myself, you know, just how much um, workload wise, because especially at first in the Trump era, there was a lot. And we were trying to figure out, like I said, what the hell's going on with these tweets? You know, what's this guy doing in these pool sprays? And we were coming off Obama. He really, he didn't love the pool sprays. He didn't love, those things are kind of chaotic. And, you know, we're shouting questions and and that wasn't, you know, Obama's cool. He's a cool collected customer. And and that was reflective in his White House. And he didn't really do a lot of Q&As. He would take, a, you know, maybe one or two questions and then, oh, we got to get back to work. Thanks, everybody. And, and, and that was it. And, you know, Trump's in there for 40 minutes right. taking questions. Everyone on the beat who's, who's still around, and, and most people are, but I think we've realized just how resilient we can be uh, professionally and, um, and, and just how with Trump, because, you know, I, there's no reason to mince words that the president has an allergy with the truth. He loves to exaggerate. Even when he's not lying, he's stretching the truth or stretching the the, the scenario or the circumstances it, it just in, in uh, incredible directions and ways. And, you know, you, you really get back to this feeling of you, you need to write it a certain way to hold him accountable. And you realize, well, that's why I got in the business to start with all those years ago was to hold folks like uh, a president accountable. And you get very comfortable with doing that. And, you know, the first time that, that we here decided it was okay to use the word lie, that was a moment. I, I, I didn't know if I would ever write a story in the lead that said the president, you know, the president of the United States appears to have lied about this on, on national television. 
And you just really learned a lot about Donald Trump and what his election means about the country. And and I think we learned, and, and this is this is my conclusion. These are not the, uh, the thoughts of CQ Roll Call. These are thoughts of John T. Bennett. I think it showed the country's more cynical and frustrated and allergic to others, people who don't sound or look like them. There's a callousness out there that I think we, sometimes we don't want to talk about or acknowledge. I really think the country is still just in this moment of cynicism and frustration and and how that sorts out and when, you know, I, I think we'll be back here hopefully in the studio uh, multiple times talking about that because this is not, I, I don't think it ends with Donald Trump. Right. And I think you see some Republicans looking beyond uh, the, the Trump years whenever they end, be it in, in January of next year or, or, or January uh, 2025. And they're trying to position themselves to really be the heir one or a possible heir apparent to those folks who were frustrated and allergic to others. I mean, Nikki Haley comes to mind. I don't think people really expected her to jump so far toward that Trump right, as I like to call it, and, and folks like that. So I think it's out there, and I think you do have some some politicians who have who have recognized that, and they're already trying to be the ones to inherit that Trump core, that Trump base. Well, John, you're uh, about to start a bureau uh, for the independent. It's got a global mm. reach um, in... You know, I will I will miss working with you on a daily basis, so but, I, but I look forward to reading your stuff and uh, and keeping in touch, and we'll have you back in here another time. I look forward to it. Thank good, you. Good luck to you. Thank you. Same to you. Thanks for listening. Uh, you can uh, catch up on this podcast on Spotify, on anywhere you might get your podcasts, Apple Podcasts, uh, Google Play, so forth. And uh, again, thank you for listening. Political Theater is produced by CQ Roll Call, a leader in nonpartisan political and policy news and analysis for more than 70 years. CQ Roll Call is owned by Fiscal Note, a global technology and media company.